Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor Joaquin G. Molina invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for a place that we can hear your word, a place where we can be tested and challenged and confronted in our walk with you, Lord. We pray that you would prepare us, Lord, that we would be gifted and invested with all the provisions of heaven, Lord, that we could go forward into the call you have placed upon our life as the Christian church. Lord, uh, remove all circus mentality, all fanfare, all appearance of godliness, Lord, without substance. We pray that today your word would reach into the deep of who we are and and call, Lord, even uh, us to stand and to boldly proclaim and to fight the battles of the Lord. We pray, Father God, that we would have a clearly defined objective, Lord, that we would know the direction you want us to walk, that we would be prepared, Lord, that we would put on the armor, that we would be uh, that, that which comes against darkness in our town, in our city, in our marriage, Lord, that which comes against all the prince of hell and the prince of the power of, of darkness, Lord, that, that is all over the place, Lord. We pray today, Lord, even as, as all this city will be celebrating Halloween, that there would be a, uh, something that stands up, Lord, that, that, that you would stand up in our town, Lord, and change the tide like St. Patrick did in Ireland, Lord. He put away witchcraft all with his fighting, with his boldness, Lord. And here you have called your people, Lord, not to sit by and watch, not to be the victims of what's taking place, Lord, but that we would stand and proclaim your light in the midst of darkness, that we would be the agent of change, Lord, that we would be the, the inspiration, Lord, to, and the influence to, to lead this city uh, to, to blessing and, and to your glory, Lord. We pray that your word today might inspire us to stand up and fight the battles of the Lord, Lord. I give you thanks for each person that's here, even if they're new, Lord, that they would be born into, the, into Zion, into the city of God, into the things of your kingdom, Lord. Even the young that are here listening, uh, from such a young age, Father, there are uh, young boys like King David that will stand up and fight the giants that, that, that uh, are standing against us, Lord, who are wanting to hold us back and to stop our influence in this area, Lord. We pray that they would rise up with influence and power and strength to live lives that, that, are, that bring conviction to those that see it, O oh God. We pray that your word would be a seed planted in each heart, Lord, that it would be a, a double-edged sword that would go into the deep of who we are, Lord, and make a difference, Lord. We, we pray for a, a clear voice to be heard and that this would inspire us to walk in your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You know something? Um, for all the church has become all over the place, it's not uh, the depth of what God intended. I, I start out today with Matthew 26, verse 39. Uh, let, let's start at the deep end of the pool because so many churches are dabbling in the kiddie pool and they don't want to leave that place and they want to be secure and they want to be safe. But I want to tell you somebody who went a little bit farther and, and fell on his face. And he wanted to go deeper into the things of God, deeper into the challenges of the call of God upon his life. And a lot of people like to, to stay where it's safe and stay, stay where they could wear their best clothes. But some people just throw themselves on the ground and they say, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me. 
Let, let me not live out this intense Christianity you're asking me to. Uh, my, my husband um, doesn't like it. It makes him feel uncomfortable. My children think I'm a fanatic. They think I'm weird because I don't want them to play uh, in the things of this world concerning Halloween. But here Jesus shows us the model. And this is where we're to follow after his lead. And he says, um, Lord, nevertheless, not what I desire. And this is the cutting edge of where Christianity has to draw the line. We, we haven't come in through these doors into a Christian church to continue to feel safe and feel, you know, comfortable and, and, and continue to do what we think. Uh, we were reading last week how incredibly funny it was for Jesus to, to elevate and go up to the Mount of Transfiguration with, with Peter, James, and Jacob. And, and he's sitting there and, with, and, and Elijah shows up and Moses shows up and Jesus is transfigured. You got the three power hitters of all time. Moses with the law, Elijah the prophet, and Jesus the fulfillment, God upon the earth. And they're up there at the biggest part of this calling and coming of Jesus. And guess who speaks? Peter. Peter has a great idea. Why don't we just stay here and be safe? Well, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan wasn't for you to live a nice Christian life and go on feeling good without cancer, without financial problems, with no marital problems, with no family problems. You know, that's why we come to church. We want to fix us. But God has brought us to this place not only to fix us, but to change the world. To be men inspired with, with power to do great things. Um, and I, I don't want to participate in church just to feel like a nominal Christian. I don't want to come to church. And I, I remember what that felt like coming to sit down in the pew knowing I would commit to nothing, knowing I, I would go nowhere, knowing that it was just part of the week's little uh, posture of being at church for a couple of hours. And, and I, I think that that's not why God has called us. The least of us, the most insignificant, we saw Gideon. He says, Lord, why have you chosen me? I'm the less qualified. Well, if you're the less qualified here, could you raise your hand? Because God's talking about you. God's talking about you to do big things for his glory. But it's not going to happen as long as we continue to play church. It has to happen when the fire of God comes inside of you and you start doing things you would not otherwise do. That the power of the Holy Spirit would come into you and you would begin to fight a fight that other people desire that they not fight. That they would rather quit. They would rather somebody else pick up the charge. And we have Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14 where he spoke to the leaders. He spoke to noblemen. He spoke to the people that were there. He arose and spoke. And I don't know if you're speaking. Are you speaking in your sphere of influence? Have your kids heard what you have to say, Dad? Or do you always say, hey, go do what your mother says? Is that the source of inspiration your kids have? A father who has no direction, who has no convictions, who has no fight in him. And he begins on to say, do not be afraid. Why? Because I think fear is what holds us back. I think fear of failure, fear of not being qualified, fear of I'm going to mess up. And guess what? You are going to mess up because you're not that perfect. And in each mess up, you're going to be perfected. In each failure, there's going to be an opportunity to take it to another level. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is fighting with you. And if God is with you, who could be against you? If God gives you inspiration, if God gives you creativity, if God gives you leadership 
qualities. You need not be afraid because he's great and awesome. Fight for your brethren. We don't have a fight in ourselves anymore. Fight for your sons. Our sons barely know that we're fighting a battle. Fight for your daughters. We don't fight for our daughters. We give them away. How many say amen? How many say amen? We give them away. We give them away. Free. The, children, the, the young men nowadays, they can barely just breathe and they, got, they qualify to take our daughters. Oh, you, you're breathing? Okay, you can have her. And we're, we're not holding up to any, any requirements of, of being able to provide, to nourish, to cherish, to, 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 to give us a vision of their plan for your daughter. Well, I plan to be with her for a year and then I'll, come, I'll bring her back. I plan to be with her just a limited time and just when I get sick and tired of her, I'm just going to give her back. And this is what's going on in the church. I, 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 yesterday I was laughing because uh, an engineer, I'm, I'm remodeling my house, right? So an engineer comes over and he says, do you know what will happen if a wind comes through here? You need to have this strap. And do you know what will happen if, if in the gush that happens? And so he knows everything how to keep the, the structure of my house safe. And I asked him, well, when it comes time to keeping your daughter safe, when it comes to time to keeping your son safe, I'm going to ask you the same questions. He goes, well, I'm just following the blueprint. I said, so am I. I'm just following the blueprint. There's, there's specifications on how to where to live, Christian. This is not a whim for you to do what you want. There's, there's real rules for keeping your house safe. And one of them is fighting for them and standing up and fighting the battles of the Lord. So one of us has to understand that this is not just a, of, you know, this is whoever draws upon luck. Whoever gets lucky, it'll go well with them. No, no. There's strategic opportunity for you to stand up and be a voice to defend and to protect. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul is writing to the church. And he says, don't you know that not all that run... Win? Not all those that are Christians are going to win. Not all those that go to church are going to win. They're not going to receive the prizes. They're not going to receive the benefits and the rewards of having followed the Lord. So then he tells us, run in such a way that you might obtain the prize. Guarantee yourself that it will go well with your family. Guarantee yourself that you're going to finish the Christian a race in a manner where God will say, well done. Because I'm going to tell you, he will also say, depart from me. I never knew you. Never knew. We didn't have a relationship. You didn't do things as the way I called you to do them. Every time I told you A, you came up with B. Every time I told you go out this door, you went out the back door. And so those will not win. And there's a catch-all phrase that once you are, are a Christian, you're always a Christian. No, it's not. Because Paul says, I run in such a way that I will win so that I would not be disqualified. In verse 25, he says, everyone who competes for the prize uh, begins to be temperate. temperate. That, that word talks about challenging your character. Self-disciplined, self-controlled, specifically focused. You don't go out there with a baseball bat in the major leagues and hit a baseball unless you've hit a thousand of them in the batting cage. You don't go out there and, and, and perform and do things unless 
you have meticulously, intentionally, and purposefully strived to hit the mark. Run in such a way that you might obtain it. This person who obtains the prize is self-controlled in all things. Can you please tell me all things? Because I've found that if you're not a Christian everywhere, you're not a Christian anywhere. Could I say that again? If you're not a Christian everywhere, you're not a Christian nowhere. You have been disloyal. You're a traitor to the kingdom of God. We're not to be false Christians. We're not to be singing praise songs in the house of God. And then in the workplace, we're stealing and conspiring to do dark things. And this is some people that do it to receive a perishable crown. But we are to receive the crown of glory. We're to receive those things that will not fade with time. Verse 26, he says like this. Therefore, for this reason I run. Because I know that I don't want to miss out. I want to run with purpose. I want to run with a strategy. I want to run with objective. Not with uncertainty. If, if the same thing's going to befall me, is going to befall uh, an atheist or a non-believer, then what's the reason to believe? If my life, if my marriage is going to be just as good in Christ as out of Christ, why waste the time? Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I'm not losing my time. I'm not losing my target. I have a clearly defined objective. I, I know what God wants. I know, I know His will. I know what my will is. And I have to say, Lord, not my will be done. Not my pleasures. Not my plans. I guarantee you, if you're pursuing your plans and your pleasure, you're going to be a miserable man. A miserable marriage. A miserable family. But if you pursue the pleasure and the will of God, your joy will be inexpressible. In Hebrews 1.9, my favorite verse of all time. What is the epitome of joy? How could I experience joy at the highest level? I need to hate unrighteousness. Because you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, because you've made that split in your life and you know where you're at and you know what you're doing and you know where you're not at and you know what you're not doing, for this reason God has anointed you with an oil of gladness far above your companions, far above your co-workers, far above your relatives and family because you have clearly defined and you've loved the things of God and you've hated the things that are not of God. You passionately pursue God and His purpose for life and you purposefully shun evil and stay away from those things that are bringing you down, that are bringing your marriage down. Men who God has blessed with businesses with beautiful wives, with beautiful children, with finances, are dabbling in the toilet house, going after the dark and, and, and horrible things of this world, of the natures of sin and death. And, and I believe that there's a way to, to ride it high. I, I believe that there's a life. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That means a level of life that is huge. It's not a religious life. I think that's why some people don't abandon themselves to Christ. They say, I don't want to be too religious. It's not religious. It's a, it's a range of life that you would have wished in your furthest dreams to have attained when you follow God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. 
He says, therefore I run, not as one who beats the air. And then he says in verse 27, Matthew, I mean, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. For this reason I keep my body subjected and disciplined. For this reason I, I want to conform, not to the image of the world. I want to conform into the image of God's purpose. So that I could experience its fullness in every direction. And we were created for great and glorious things. I want to remind you that you might not know that you're a Gideon hiding. You're a David that, that is going to overcome great obstacles and giants because God is with you. He wants you to fight those battles with you. And he says, I keep my body under this subjection. Because it could be the case that after I have preached to so many, I myself would be disqualified. I myself might be unfit and lose my prize. I want to tell you that it requires this thing that you hear this morning. It's not something that I'm just wearing on Sunday morning because I kind of come up with a good sermon. No, no, no. This is my fire and my passion 24-7 every day of the week, every day of the year. I want the fullness of God to be expressed through my life. I want His fire to be evident. And for that, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I remind you of this calling that's upon you. How sincere you are in your faith. How genuine you are in your walk with God. And this fire didn't just come out all of a sudden. It was first in your grandmother and in your mom. And I'm persuaded, I see that this is the evidence in you. Because I could guarantee you, if there's no fire in grandma and there's no fire in mom, there's not going to be a fire in the children. If there's no genuine faith in the fathers, how will the children inherit this faith? And Timothy is told by Paul in verse 6, since this genuine faith is present and it's passed down sincerely, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. I remind you to move the embers. The embers is when the fire has gone out. When it's just the red coals that are there. And they're just simmering in that place of fire. He says, shake them up. Fan the flames like we did on Friday night. Get these charcoals of fire and light them so that the fire just comes in and engulfs everyone who's around. Because I am convinced and, and, and persuaded that each one of you that is sitting here this morning hasn't come to this church because you heard there's a circus here. There's no elephants here. There's no giraffes. There's a man who's on fire with God. And I know that you're here. And I, my prayer is that you also would be engulfed in the flames of God. Filled with the Spirit of God that would burn away all the yoke of your, of your indifference and, if, and your passivity. And there Paul is saying, you got the real thing, Timothy, but you got to fan the flames. You got to stir the gift of God that's in you, that you received. And this is what I want and I feel that needs to happen nowadays in churches all over the world. Not only in this church, but all over the world, that we would be the inspiring uh, catalyst to, to bring things on fire. And this doesn't happen by intellectual knowledge. It's not by the reading of books. It's not by going to seminary or Bible college. It's about saying, God, consume me with your spirit. Consume me with your fire. Let your fire 
Just burn away curse words in my vocabulary. Let them burn away the yoke of sin that's in my life that causes me to compromise. And so 1 Timothy 6.12, he goes on to say, fight the good fight. Lay hold of this abundant life which you have been called to and profess. Begin to, to live differently. Begin to tell God, God, I don't want to be just adequate. I don't just want to be a mere competent. I want to take it to the next level of my walk. I want to be found faithful. I want to serve you with excellence. I want to gather with men of integrity, men that are full of wisdom, men that know how to build the house of God, that know how to build it where it's first and foremost a blessing to their families. You know, some of us don't like to fight. And I want to tell you that there is no other way to live this life than to fight and fight boldly. One of my favorite verses of all time is 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 16. Could you make this your motto today? Forevermore, 2 Kings 10, 16. Can you put this in your houses? Can you put it in your cars? Can you put it in your workplace? Could this be the foundation of what motivates you to live on fire for God? Where you rise up and tell the world, come, come. Come with me and see how I love God. Come with me and look at God's love over my life also. That's one of the things that impresses most people who travel with me. They say, Joaquin, we can't believe God's all over your life. Everywhere you go, you're blessed. Everywhere you go, the doors are open. Everywhere you go, you prosper. Everywhere you go, there's favor of God. Why? Because we walk with God. We live for God's glory. We don't live for our own glory. We live for Him. And I want to challenge you to, to have that in your life. The man who said this was a very spectacular man. I don't know if you want to pronounce with me the name Jehu. Jehu. Who? Jehu. Who? Jehu. J-E-H-U. Jehu. He's a powerful man. He's the one that uttered these words. Years ago, the first time that I heard these words was a pastor, my pastor. He says, Joaquin, you remind me like Jehu. And I'm like, Who? Jehu. He says, you're a Jehu. I can see your car coming down the street, and I know you're coming. I can see your zeal for God, your inquenchable passion for the things of God, your genuineness in fighting the battles of the Lord. And Jehu is a character, because on a night like Halloween, you know what Jehu would do? He would rent out the American Airlines arena, and he would say, everybody who wants to celebrate Halloween, come over. I'm throwing a Halloween party. That's Jehu. And he was like, Joaquin, what are you talking about? Yeah, he did that. And we can see this clearly. If you read with me, please. In 2 Kings, chapter 10, verse 18. Then Jehu gathered all the people and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little bit. Ahab was the king, a wicked king who served Baal, which was an ungodly feature. A vampire of sorts. Ahab served Baal a little bit, but Jehu will serve him much more. Yeah, some people have thrown some Halloween parties, but watch Jehu how he throws his. And he starts calling all the people of Israel. What do you mean Jehu is serving Baal? He will serve him much more. And it says, now summon all the prophets of Baal, verse 19. All his worshipers. 
All his priests, gather them all together. Let not one of them be missing. For I have a great sacrifice to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jeho did it in a tricky manner so that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu says, I'm gathering a sanctify, a solemn assembly, a holy gathering for Halloween practice. And they proclaimed it. Then Jehu went out to Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so there was not a man left who did not come. And when they went in the house of Baal, the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. And he said to him, he said to the ones who was in charge of the wardroom, bring out the garments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out the garments for them. And Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jonadab and the son of Rechab. And he said to the worshipers of Baal, search and see. This is a hilarious verse, by the way. Make sure that in this Halloween bash that there is none of the servants of the Lord, but only the worshipers of Baal. Isn't that funny? That they would call all the devil worshipers, all the idolaters, all the darkness to serve a party. And who would show up? Christians. So Jehu has to say, wait, time out. Before we go on with this party, can you please check and make sure no one loves Jesus Christ? Can you please make sure that there are no servants of the Lord in the house? And so they had to go looking for those Christians that are like double agents, right? They're undercover. You can find them at a nightclub. You can find them at a, at a bar. You can find them anywhere you want to go. And he had to make sure there's no servants of the Lord because the judgment of God is about to fall. And God does not want to bring judgment on his own people. And he says, when they checked out to make sure there was none of the servants of the Lord, but only the worshipers of Baal, then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stationed for himself 80 men outside. And he said, the one who lets anyone live shall not escape, but shall give his own life in exchange. Then it came about as soon as he had finished the offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the royal officers, go in and kill them all. Let none come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. And the guard of the royal officers threw them out and went to the inner chambers of the house of Baal. They brought out the sacred pillars to worship Baal and burn them. They broke down the sacred pillars of Baal and broke them down. They made a latrine to this day. And Jehu eradicated Baal out of Israel. Tell me that's not intense. Tell me that's not a man who's on God's side fighting the battles of the Lord. A man without compromise. A man who's in his home. You couldn't find one videotape with profanity or vulgarity or sexual immorality. A man who did not compromise. A man who was sold out for Jesus Christ all the days of his life. I love when I'm on the computer and my kids come into the room. I love when my kids come over when I'm reading a book and they're trying to find out what is dad all about. And you know what they find out? They find out that their dad is in love with Jesus Christ. They find out that God lives inside their dad. They are following the example of their father. They have clear footprints on how it is to honor God by the witness they have in dad. Their dad doesn't have a hobby that overrides serving God. He doesn't have something that's farther beyond in his scope to garner joy in this world than to serve the Lord. Our kids are dying for some type of provision in that course. So Isaiah 62 says like this, For Zion's sake, 
for God's cause. For the people of Israel, I will not hold my peace. Isaiah 62 verse 1. I will not rest until her righteousness is vindicated and goes forth in the brightness of her glory. Until her salvation as a lamp burns. We have to be the people of God for this season. I don't know who you're waiting for, but the world is waiting for you. The world is waiting for you to stand up and to be the man of God in that sphere where you, where God has placed you. In verse 6, God says, I have set watchmen upon the walls. Oh, Jerusalem, you will never hold your peace day or night. Your servants are put in, in that place to bring them back to the Lord's remembrance. Keep not your silence. I don't know if this world is calling you to conform. I don't know if this world is calling you to, to not be too loud for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are the answer to someone's salvation. You're the one that tells people how they ought to walk and where they ought to go. I still see Christians trying to figure out if they can make it to a worldly party. Hey, pastor, they're throwing a great bash over there. Who is it? It's the worldly people. They've invited me. They're going to pay my pri all my charges. I go, great. You're going to go there to preach? No, I'm just going to go there to hang out. Are you going to go there? They're going to let you talk about Jesus? No, they would never let me talk about Jesus. Why are you going? Why are you going? Why don't you stand up for the Lord and make a difference? You'll be the first person with all expenses paid to say, no, thank you. Standing up for the Lord so that maybe it might bring hope of salvation to those who meet your life, who come across your life. I love Psalm 128. It says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. These are the rewards of those who walk in this life. Psalm 128 says, blessings shall be upon the man who fears God. And what are those blessings? The man who walks in the ways of God. For you shall eat all the rewards of your efforts, and happy shall you be. Everybody's looking for happiness, but nobody wants to serve the Lord. Everybody's looking to put away psychiatrists and, and anxiety and, and psychological illnesses, but nobody wants to serve God. When you eat the fruit of your hands, of serving God with your full passions, you shall be happy. Why? Because it will be well with you. It will be well with you. God will take care of you. You take care of God, God will take care of you. We read it last week, and we're going to read it again this week. Because you fight the battles of the Lord, your house will last forever. It says in verse 3, Behold, shall this man be that fears the Lord. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. The first benefit to a man of God, the, the first one that benefits from a man of God's life is his wife. And while many men are religious, not many are godly. And so when a wife is not happy, you know you have a religious husband. And all the women say, not too loud, not too loud, not too loud. When you have a religious man at your side, you have a miserable wife. Because he has no reality in substance. He has a godly appearance, but no reality in depth. But a man who fears God and walks with his God and is a friend of God... His wife is the first beneficiary of that relationship. Your wife is going to be fruitful. In the very heart of your house will be an expression of your wife in her full glory, blossoming in the blessings of God. And your children also will be like olive plants around your table. I can't get out of the fact that kids want to run away from home. You want to know why they want to run away from home? Because God's not there. God's not there. There is no provision. There is no affirmation. 
There is no love. There is no embrace. But your children will be like olive plants around your table. And it continues on to say, verse 4. Behold, thus shall be the man who's blessed because he fears the Lord. I want to encourage you today as you hear this message. This is not something I bought at Walmart, by the way. This is not something that you get at the discount store. To be a man of God causes you to, to have to stand up and be a real Christian and come to the cross. Come to Jesus Christ. Let him pay for the forgiveness of all your sins. I guarantee you, to him who much is forgiven, much loves. When you come and bring your trash to the Lord, you'll walk away with his treasure. You'll walk away with great wealth of blessing and peace and joy. Let's stand up to this morning and ask God, God, I want to be like Jehu. Who? Jehu. I want to be like Jehu. I want to strategically plan the destruction of darkness in my house. I want to invite all the devils and demons, all my, fr my, my husband's friends that take them to go cheat on me. I want to invite them and give them a nice little formula called the gospel. I want to preach the gospel. You'll see how they run like rats. They run like roaches. Darkness flees in the midst of light. Proclaim Jesus Christ in your home. Don't let people bring alcohol into your house. Don't let them bring movies and pornography and videos that are suspect. You'll see how light fills your house. It will fill your family. It will fill your children. And darkness will flee. Darkness will flee from your house to never again be seen. And then you could go have that little bumper sticker or whatever you want to call it. You can make it your driver's license and come in my car and look at my zeal for my God. Look how I love God. Look how I'm passionately in love with Christ. Follow me. Go where I go. See who I talk to. Go on vacation with me. I dare you. Years ago, they invited us to go on a cruise ship. It was the Royal Caribbean. And we went to the front desk and we says, tomorrow's Sunday. Will you guys be having worship service? They said, no, we don't have a priest on the board. I said, well, I'm a pastor and I would like to have services on board. And they said, fine. Can we announce it in our schedule? I said, sure. You announce it. We'll be there at 7 o'clock sharp. And we're going to have a service for the glory of God. Well, I told my kids we're on vacation, but you never vacation from your walk with God. You never go on vacation and on a holiday without the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's where you save him and serve him the best. And one of the things that happened, I told my kids, you guys prepare your Bible verses. They were, I think, seven, uh, five, six, and seven. You prepare your memory verses you learned in Sunday school because you guys are going to be preaching on the cruise too. And so we started with our, I brought a guitar along and we started worshiping in the main hall. And people started showing up from their rooms. And we were there on Royal Caribbean cruise lines on our vacation, but we were glorifying the Lord. And I guarantee you there wasn't one person on that ship that didn't know where to run to if that ship sunk. They would have been running in our direction saying, pray for us. The ship is going down. So we had a glorious service and our kids were able to serve God on the cruise ship. And they shared their Bible verses in front of people they didn't know from all over the world. And after the service, three couples came up to him and says, we're here to renew our vows. We would like you to renew them for us. We're on this cruise because uh, we want to, we, we're, we're on our honeymoon of our anniversary and, and, and we want, we've been married for, one was married for 10 years, another one was married for 25 years and they said, well, Pastor, would you renew our vows? I said, sure, tonight, um, right before dinner on the top deck, we'll, we'll, we'll have some more service. 
And that's what it is to be a man of God. That's what it is to be a family that loves Jesus Christ. You make yourself available. You make yourself seen. And you speak the words. And you're not shutting up about what you know about Jesus Christ. Because you're the lifeline to not only your own family, but to generations of people that need a handout. As we sing this song, you guys, I'm going to pray with you. If you want the fire of God to be stirred up in you again, can you please come forward so I can pray with you? Just come forward. Don't be ashamed. Say just like Timothy. I know it's there. I know it's genuine, but I need it to flame. I need the fire of this flame to, to come. I'm going to ask Kenny to come up here and help me pray. We need a church that's vibrantly on fire for Christ, not lamps that are going out. Not lamps that are phase, f- fizzing out, fading out, uh, compromising more. No. Today's a great day to be victorious. This this day called Halloween, I'm going to call it something else. I'm going to call it God's fire day. We need to fill the fire of God in our hearts. Those words that just come out passionately to stand up for Christ, eloquently, articulately, speaking truth in darkness are the ones we need to be on fire for. Not the ones we need to think. I have decided yes, Lord. to follow 